The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. FOMC minutes reveal the Fed's July rate cut will not be the start of a long-term easing cycle, while the central bank says the trade war is a persistent headwind to growth. The US yield curve inverts again amid recession fears, while President Trump hails Germany's negative yields despite the fact its first 30-year zero-income bond auction didn't get much uptake. In Germany, they have zero interest rates. And when they borrow money, I mean, when you look at what happens, look at what's going on over there. They borrow money, they actually get paid to borrow money. And we have to compete with that. Germany's Angela Merkel gives Boris Johnson a month to solve the Irish backstop, while France's Emmanuel Macron says a no-deal Brexit would be Britain's fault, ahead of a meeting with the UK leader. Italian opposition party PD sets conditions for an alliance with Five Star as President Sergio Mattarella meets with lawmakers to test the appetite for a new coalition or else risk fresh, fresh elections. Well, here we are at the wall suggesting there could be a market moment for investors and we may just have one because the messages from the Fed yesterday did not quite gel with how far the market has moved to price in interest rate reductions. A Fed divided, that was the message from the FOMC minutes from the July meeting, which showed the policymakers were not united over a decision to lower interest rates. A couple of members backed a deeper cut of 50 basis points to combat low inflation and the impact of global trade tensions, while several favoured maintaining the same target range. However, most officials saw the Fed's decision to slash rates by a quarter percentage point as a mid-cycle adjustment to address economic uncertainties. Policymakers also agreed they wanted to avoid any appearance that the Fed was on a preset course. So all eyes now switching to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, to see whether Jay Powell alters his language, which would assume that uh, the market is correct then and uh, suggest that there are rate cuts coming. Well, a lot has indeed changed since that July meeting and investors trying to determine what uh, will come next in terms of that messaging. Let's take a look at market moves yesterday. Outside of the Fed, we had a lot of focus on retail, not to disconnect it, of course, from what we see next when it comes to policy. The U.S. consumer has been the pillar of strength of the U.S. economy, consumption making up 70% of GDP. And we got some very uh, encouraging reports from Target and Lowe's yesterday, underlying the strength of the American consumer. So we saw consumer discretionary lead the gains yesterday. The S&P 500 saw every sector in positive territory, up about 0.8%. The Dow and the Nasdaq also ended nearly 1% higher. So uh, not just about what we heard from the Fed in terms of their July thinking, but also uh, some continued uh, encouraging signs in the retail space. So the 
consumer continues to show resilience in the face of all these external pressures facing the American economy. Well, let's take a look at Treasuries. Of course, uh, this is a key uh, key part of the market to, to watch when it comes to Fed policy. Now, soon after the release of the minutes, the curve between the two-year and the 10-year note flattened and briefly inverted later in the afternoon. We'll show you that spread in just a minute, but just looking at the absolute level here, the U.S. 10-year currently trading about 1.57%, the 30-year around 2.05%, so holding above that 2% mark. But let's take a look at the two-year, 10-year, two-year inversion. This uh, is what caused a lot of panic among investors when we saw the inversion take place last week. So again, we saw this part of the yield curve invert once again yesterday, just briefly. So it will be important to see uh, if this inversion returns and how long it lasts. It's not just about the inversion itself, but the extent to which the inversion lasts. We'll take a look at dollar crosses next. We did see the dollar index edge about 0.1% higher yesterday. Now a bit of stability coming through. Sterling just a touch lighter versus the dollar around that 1.21 mark. The euro basically flat versus the dollar. Meanwhile, the yen is seeing a bit of a bid this morning. The dollar down about 0.16% against that safe haven currency. Let's take a look at Asian markets where we're seeing investors pause for breath really, digest the minutes in anticipation of the Jackson Hole Symposium as well. The Shanghai Composite down about 0.2%. The Hang Seng uh, suffering a bit more, down nearly 1% this morning. The Nikkei 225 flat. Uh, Let's take a look at European opening calls. Yesterday we saw the stock 600 gain about 1.2%. That was its third positive session in the last four. Now we're looking at a bit of a pullback today. The DAX is looking at a uh, 21-point drop at the open. The FTSE MIB down about 40 points at the open, according to these opening calls. Of course, a lot of attention still on Italy as a President Mattarella meets with the various parties to determine whether a coalition, an alternative government can be formed or, uh, or else we will see snap elections. Let me just give you a little bit uh, more color on what we heard from President Trump. He reiterated his call for the Fed to slash rates. If you look at what's happening around the world, Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve have totally missed the call. I was right, and just about everybody admits that. I was right. He did quantitative tightening. He shouldn't have done that. He raised interest rates too fast, too furious. And we have a normalized rate. You call it that. And now we have to go the other direction. We'll see if he does it. If he does it, uh, you'll see a rocket ship. You'll see a, a boom. If he does it, we have a very strong economy. President Trump has praised Germany's sale of no-interest bonds. That's after Berlin auctioned 30-year debt with a negative yield for the first time Wednesday. But the sale failed to impress and less than half of the €2 billion offering was bought, with the Bundesbank picking up the balance. The Bund matures in 2015, has a zero coupon, meaning it pays no interest. Trump used the German comparison to attack the U.S. central bank, tweeting, quote, where is the Federal Reserve? The U.S. leader also referenced Germany as he left the White House for Kentucky. Much stronger than Germany, but we do compete with Germany. In Germany, they have zero interest rates. And when they borrow money, I mean, when you look at what happens, look at what's going on over there. They borrow money. They actually get paid to borrow money. And we have to compete with that. Bill Diveny joins us, senior economist ABN AMRO and Pierre Ortlieb, economist at OMFIFT. Good morning to both of you. Bill, let me get you in first. Where is the Fed here, Trump, but calling out his own central bank for not delivering effectively negative yields on some of its treasuries? 
Who wants that? Because we've seen the huge role that the central bank is playing in the bond market. That's not healthy. So why would Trump be suggesting that's a suitable role for the Fed at this point? Um, well, I think the, the US economy is broadly in a good place um, in terms of current conditions. Uh, you just referred to uh, retail sales um, being quite strong. The consumer is, is still in, in a good place. Um, but I think uh, if you look on the, the risks on the horizon and the leading indicators, so if you look at consumer confidence last week, um, that, was, that, was, that had weakened. Um, if you look at the manufacturing sector, that's very weak. And, and the leading indicators there look, look like it's, uh, it's going to weaken even further. Um, so I think what the, what the Fed is doing at the moment is insuring against those risks. Um, and I, I think what you saw in the minutes was uh, that, that the Fed is, is broadly comfortable at the moment with, with how, thing, how current conditions are, but they are concerned about the outlook. And I, and I think that will continue to drive uh, further rate cuts as, as we look ahead. Did put his finger on the pulse in one sense, though, Pierre, which is that you've got central banks racing to the bottom, and that leaves the Fed as an outlier, potentially also putting strength behind the US dollar, which has been a problem for the United States when it comes to the economic growth story. And what we have seen as you've had more intervention by central banks uh, in Europe, in particular in the ECB, there's been selling by foreign investors that have been chasing yield elsewhere. If we do continue to see more intervention, where does that leave the Fed? And as we've seen, a very split Fed in terms of more easing. Yeah, that's right. And I think, um, you know, w with regards to that, I think the, the, what's what really came out in the minutes is more so what wasn't said. Um, the fact that, you know, liquidity conditions in money markets are really tight at the moment in the U.S. Um, was barely discussed in these minutes, was briefly mentioned um, in the section about the standing repo facility in the previous minutes. Um, and, you know, I think um, while macro conditions do remain strong, there is a strong case um, to cut rates significantly if you look at money market conditions, um, especially now with the Treasury rebuilding their cash buffer, um, tapering having you know, ended, but still being something that is very much on market's mind. Um, so I mean, there is clearly a, a need for intervention um, in, in markets on behalf of the Fed. Um, you know, the, the FOMC didn't seem too concerned about that. Obviously, they are primarily concerned with the macro outlook. Um, and so the question, I think, is how they'll manage to justify a kind of technical adjustment um, and what kind of macro sort of fig leaf they'll end up using to sort of justify that. The minutes really stress the, the data dependence of future decisions. Do you think the, the emphasis on the data dependency was because it's actually pretty hard to glean how they justified the July cut based on the data? Yeah, pr presumably it is the case. And I mean, you know, there's always a certain degree of mental gymnastics that goes into justifying any kind of, of such decision, um, you know, that to make it fall within the central bank's mandate. Um, and it also depends on what kind of data you're really looking at. Um, I mean, obviously, macro conditions indicators are strong, as, uh, as was mentioned just now. But if you look at something like, you know, the, the, the yield curve and sort of actual hedge costs for foreign investors, you've seen that demand for treasuries from abroad has really dried up. Um, a lot of that is ending up on, on um, primary dealer balance sheets and um, that, that capacity to take on you know, further treasuries, what with you know, the deficit widening, there's going to be another sort of storm, um, another sort of deluge of T-bills. And you know, the, the question is, you know, the data with regard to money market and, and primary dealers, that's looking really bad. Um, and so 
you know, the question is, I guess, what, what data is the Fed really concerned about? So maybe we should be calling it mid-cycle gymnastics rather than <laughs> mid-cycle adjustment. Uh, Bill, let me pick up on that point with you because this now puts Jay Powell in an incredibly difficult position at Jackson Hole. We had a guest on yesterday from Saxon Bank saying it would be a dove fest. But just how dovish can Jay Powell be at this point without looking like he's out of lockstep with some members of the Fed who didn't want to cut? Well, of course, we have to remember that the, the minutes refer to a meeting that happened uh, a few weeks ago. And, and I think importantly, before this uh, trade war re-escalation, and also we've had some macro data since then that, that's been weaker, but again, particularly in, in manufacturing. Um, so I think he will be, uh, he will have a dovish tilt to reflect that shift in, in the circumstances uh, that we've had. Um, but at the same time, given that market expectations are uh, already quite aggressive uh, for Fed rate cuts, I think he will be reluctant to, to kind of spur those expectations, but perhaps really just try to meet them uh, at this stage. Bill, uh, President Trump has obviously politicized the Federal Reserve in a way we haven't seen for quite some time. What are the chances that Jerome Powell uses Jackson Hole as an opportunity to really push back against the president? Well, if you look at his uh, pr press conference performances so far when he's been asked about this, he, he's been um, sort of very dismissive of the idea that the Fed is, is uh, influenced by political considerations. And, and honestly, my view is, is, is that, that what the Fed has done so far hasn't really been influenced by, by what's going on politically, but, but really by uh, what's been going on globally in, in terms of uh, the, the macro slowdown um, and also the, the risks from the trade war. Um, so I, I think he'll really just continue to emphasize those things rather than uh, yeah, trying to get uh, entangled in politics. Yeah, no doubt the inverted yield curve will be uh, flashing some form of a signal to a Jackson Hole as those on the mountain debate whether it is showing us a recession is looming this time round. A number of Fed officials were also worried about what the signaling function was from the bond market this time round. What are your fears as we continue to see more inversions in session yesterday and even on some metrics on the, the three-month T-bill versus the 10-year? That is a continuation of an inversion story. That's right. And I mean, in, in hedge terms, the yield curve uh, has been inverted since, you know, pretty much since October of last year. Um, and you've seen that reflected in the way in which primary dealers have really had to absorb treasuries and balance sheet space um, is really is really drying up. And you see that in sort of uh, overnight general collateral, general collateral repo uh, that's printed outside of the Fed's target band. Um, a number of times um, in recent weeks. And so, you know, the, the, there's a clear sense in which the Fed is kind of losing the ability to really adequately control its short-term rates. Um, so I think that's something that they really ought to be more concerned about, or at least we would like to see that expressed more clearly in the minutes. Um, but I think in terms of Jackson Hole, you know, you have to remember it's, it's sort of primarily an academic forum. So I think, um, you know, the, there'll be less concern about sort of politicization and, you know, um, about the, the sort of the details of, uh, of monetary policy. And I think, you know, it'll be sort of a more, a more, more broad picture kind of focus uh, for the time being. Pierre, in, in past decades, there was debate around the central bank's role in trying to control asset price bubbles. How do you think that plays into uh, Jerome Powell's thinking at this stage when it comes to policymaking? Yeah, I mean, clearly they look at things like uh, equity prices um, and sort of various indices. But I think, um, 
it seems to me that the, the Fed is mostly concerned about, about really about macro conditions. Um, and what came out of the minutes is, um, you know, two things. I think the, the overwhelming sense that I got was that, you know, they're still very much impressed by the strength of the labor market, um, but also concerned about the degree to which uh, inflation is lagging behind the target. Um, you saw some discussion around sort of making up uh, the, the sort of lag behind the target and sort of overshooting the target for, for a while. Um, you saw some concern about anchoring and the degree to which you know expectations have become unanchored from the two percent target. Um, so I think you know the concern about about asset prices to me is sort of rather secondary, at least in the Fed's decision making. It's mostly about really the macro outlook for the time being. Bill, give us a takeaway message. What should investors anticipate now from the Fed? Uh, so we're expecting another three rate cuts and that they go at, at each remaining meeting in uh, this year. Um, I think uh, that, that would be uh, consistent with the signaling that we've had so far from the Fed. Um, with that said, they've been quite clear that this is a, a mid-cycle adjustment. So I think uh, after those, those three cuts, uh, they would probably look to pause and to, to gauge how, how those cuts are, are affecting the outlook, bearing in mind that monetary policy, of course, works with, with quite a lag. Um, so, so I think they will, will want to pause uh, from the December meeting onwards. Bill, thank you very much for your time, and Pierre as well. Uh, Bill Divney with us, Senior Economist at ABN AMRO, coming to us out of Amsterdam today and around the studio set this morning. Pierre Ottlieb, Economist at OMFIF. Well, CNBC will be speaking to a number of Fed presidents when policymakers gather in Wyoming later this week for the Jackson Hole Symposium. So be sure to tune in for those conversations. You can see from Jim Bullard, who we've had around the set here on the agenda, to, to Mark Carney, uh, the BOE governor, as we round up the week on Friday. Well, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan has played down fears over a potential U.S. recession. He says strong consumer spending will help bolster economic growth. The underlying consumer is doing well and making more money, they're employed, and more importantly, they're spending more money. And so in our customer base through the, this time, uh, you know, August 15th, year to date, you've seen the amount spent by American consumers at Bank of America, $2 trillion. It's up 5.9% from last year through the same period of time. So in 17 to 18, you're up about 8.5%. 18 to 19, you're up about 5.9%. So think about that as $120 billion more spending by our consumers this year versus last year, which means the U.S. consumer continues to spend and that will keep the U.S. economy in good shape. President Trump has again defended his use of tariffs against China and described the trade conflict as a long time coming. The U.S. leader said he was uniquely qualified for the task of taking on Beijing. Somebody said it's Trump's trade war. This isn't my trade war. This is a trade war that should have taken place a long time ago by a lot of other presidents. Somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one. Somebody had to do it. So I'm taking on China. I'm taking on China on trade. Do we call him the trade messiah if he's the chosen one? <laughs> I'm sure he would uh, he would appreciate that title. Um, well, uh, on that note, we're going to take a short break, but still ahead on Squawk Box, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson looks for a sympathetic ear in Berlin, but Paris says it won't budge on Brexit. More when we come back. A CNBC signature event. 
East Tech West. CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. German Chancellor Angela Merkel has offered the UK a 30-day window to come up with alternatives to the Irish backstop. Merkel met UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson in Berlin in what was their first meeting since he became leader. Johnson has called on the EU to drop the backstop from the deal, saying there is ample scope for an alternative. Merkel stressed clarity is required around the UK's future relationship with the EU. The backstop has always been a fallback position. If you resolve this position, if you have a solution how to do it. It has been said that we will probably find it in the next two years, but maybe you can find it in the next 30 days. Why not? Then we'll be a whole step ahead and we'll have to make an effort to find something like that. If I may add, that presupposes, however, that we have clarity as to what the future relations of Great Britain with the European Union should look like. And I think that this clarity has now increased and that it is why we still have something good to discuss tonight. Johnson welcomed Merkel's offer, saying he was more than happy to accept the, quote, blistering timetable. However, the UK prime minister reiterated his desire to remove the backstop, stressing it has grave defects. We need to remove those elements of the of the withdrawal agreement that simply don't work for for the UK. I've spoken of the things that I think are sensible, the protections of the rights of uh, EU nationals. But the the backstop, uh, that particular arrangement, which I, I do think has grave, grave defects for a democratic country, a sovereign democratic country uh, like the UK, that plainly has to go. But once we get rid of it, if we can change it, then I think there is the, the real prospect of making uh, progress very rapidly indeed. However, French President Emmanuel Macron has played down the chance of renegotiating the Brexit deal. Macron said the terms being offered by the UK are not, quote, workable. The French president warned that a no-deal Brexit would be Britain's fault and a trade deal with the US would not offset the cost of that scenario. A quick look at how sterling dollar is trading this morning, 121.23, 22 roughly. We've lifted off some of the lows that we had around the 120 mark, but uh, just morning session, a little bit flat versus the US dollar. And the question is the type of... Uh, meeting he'll have today with Macron, the type of reception. The French have always been much more difficult to negotiate than the, with the Germans on the issue of Brexit because the French want to be sending a message that it's not great to have a member exiting. Therefore, there should be some pain inflicted on that particular member. So as we count down to that October 31st window, you've got to say Macron's not going to make it easier. But if You've got Johnson wanting to achieve something in the 30 days that's going to be typically a two-year window to come up with an alternative to the backstop. Then does he need any more pressure mm. from Macron at this point? It sets the scene for a showdown of sorts again between the UK and France at least. You make an interesting distinction between France and Germany and their approach toward Brexit. Of course, Germany has a huge amount at stake here given their export dependence as an economy and the slowdown they've seen in their exports to the UK, down nearly 5% in the first half of this year. So 
they have a, more of an incentive, you could say, to try to mitigate the impact of Brexit and obviously try to shift away from a hard, a hard Brexit scenario. You wonder whether a lot of businesses elsewhere just want certainty now, because that's been the overwhelming message from UK business. Let's just get on with it. Whatever the outcome, let's just have a Brexit so everybody can plan for it. And you've got to wonder whether that's starting to become the picture on the continent too. There's been so much uncertainty about what the exit date will be, what the exit will look like, just you know, pull the trigger effectively. And when we spoke to German industry yesterday, it sort of felt like they were not also up for an extension to, to you know, reopen the withdrawal agreement at this point and start debating a whole host of solutions. Just had delay tactics written all over it. So I wonder whether there is any disconnect between how German industry feels and the German government. I think the other thing is that we are heading into the G7 where it's not just European leaders meeting, but President Trump coming in. We know President Trump is planning to meet with Boris Johnson before all the other European leaders. So will we see President Trump try to weigh in uh, into the debate? He obviously has a, a tendency to weigh into what otherwise could be considered internal matters. But if we see President Trump try to weigh in and Boris Johnson lean into the U.S., at what cost will that come? What would the UK have to give up to get the US strategic, political, economic support through Brexit? One of the fears is around agriculture and what type of deal you would be cutting with the Americans, what you would have to give up on that side in terms of provisions, genetically modified food, that sort of thing. I mean, that's always one of the risks if you've got a much stronger negotiating partner. Are you the loser in any trade deal? And we saw recently, it was just this week, where Trump was effectively saying he's got the upper hand when it comes to Europe, that uh, they just call up some form of an auto tariff. Uh, you know, we're done on any negotiations. So how does he feel about the UK in that context? I think that's, that's quite fascinating. But you do point to Biarritz, and it's going to be about the photo op. Where does Trump stand? Is he going to be positioned right next to Johnson? <laughs> Shaking hands. The suspense. Yes. <laughs> All beside this uh, beautiful coastline that you've been to recently. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.